Well, tonight we have the privilege of just kind of thinking through a few things and rejoicing before we head into a day of Thanksgiving tomorrow. And so much is on my heart and mind, uh, particularly from the couple weeks ago, we had the Pastor Appreciation Sunday and we're sharing all that's going on. And they gave me just a couple minutes at the end. And there's just so much to want to share and want to express back to the congregation in light of uh, uh, all that was said at that night. So I thought, well, tonight's the night I get to share back with you. Um, All that the Lord is doing, both in our ministry, but also uh, just the gratitude that uh, our elders have and, and our pastors, as we have the privilege of shepherding. I just think about this last year, I was reviewing last Thanksgiving and recognizing, you know, last year we were thankful as there were so many pressures and and various issues pressing in on the church and the Lord's provision. This year, I can just see the abundant grace and mercy of God poured out in so many ways. And it's most encouraging as I think about it in regards to the response of the congregation to see faith and hope and love pouring out in one another's hearts and lives to one another, it's encouraging to see that. One of the greatest encouragements to me is to see someone who is dead in their transgressions and sin embrace the gospel, get transformed into the image of Christ, and their life is radically different. I love that because that's what happened to me. I mean, I wanted nothing to do with God. I was resistant to him. I did my own thing. And then when I heard the gospel, uh, I, I could not do anything other but pursue God. And to see then over these 28 now years of God's mercy and favor, I look back and say, uh, God has accomplished more than I can ask or imagine I can't even begin to express the riches of God's grace that is poured out. And then to have the privilege of serving in a church that responds to the word of God, it is beyond what I can ask for. I was thinking about this, you know, as far as going through school, desiring to be in the ministry, getting the privilege to go into the ministry. I've thought, since I've started the ministry, I have not had a job. This has just been a joy to be a part of God's service. I quit my job in 2014 when I finished IT work and I started serving here at Saving Grace Bible Church with the privilege of ministering to the body. And in response, the the body of Christ here has just continued to go beyond my expectations, Um, not only in provisions, Uh, for the ministry, not only in love towards one another, but just drive to to know more uh, and to think deeply and to wrestle with the truth and to be encouraging one another. It's just an overwhelming kindness uh, that I uh, am so thankful for. And I recognize that that's not normal. Um, It's been normal to me. I, I got saved A few months into my Christian life, I got plugged into a healthy Bible church, and I have been in healthy Bible churches since. 
Uh, and I've seen the riches of God's grace. In fact, the first ministry I was a part of, I didn't want to leave uh, because it was so uh, rich, so uh, significant in my own life and shaping that I thought there could be nothing else like this out there in the whole world. And then, of course, I go somewhere else, and I see the kindness of God on display there. And I don't want to leave there either because it's, I don't, the kindness of God was richly on display but the Lord had always put in my heart a love for the church, a love for the body of Christ, to see the body of Christ uh, growing and maturing and responding in an area. And so uh, we did a church plant here in Venice. And in planting in Venice, there wasn't much when we came. It was uh, just a handful of people in the area, a handful of families that got together and said, this is what we want to commit to. In fact, I remember coming out here and one of the members in our church, who's still a member, still around here, said to me, um, you go to Florida to retire, and then you go, your parents go to Venice to retire. And that's where you're going to plant a church. You're going to go right in there. You're going to plant a church in the midst of uh, an area that is winding down and I grew up in a city. I grew up around activity and, and pushing and doing a lot. And so I'm wondering, well, am I going to go crazy or is there going to be enough to do? And uh, the Lord has, uh, again, richly blessed all of the efforts and, and opportunities and, and all of that. And so I have rejoiced because I have watched a ministry grow and respond to the truth of God's word where I can see Christ is evidently on display. And I, there's a joy in that because I know this. If people are suffering, if they're facing difficulties, if they've been burned, if they have embraced error and experiencing the difficulties with that, they can come to a ministry where they will be shepherded by pastors, elders, and the congregation who will minister to them the truth and they will grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I love it when somebody comes like, I'm not going to talk to the pastor, and then they go talk to one of you and you rebuke them. You say the same thing I'd say to them. I love that secretly. <laughs> I love the fact that... Uh, Many of my counseling cases get solved by you before they ever get to me, and then I figure out, well, who are you talking to? And they laid it out, and you've already walked them through it all. I love that. I love the fact that I have seen around the area people who have been hurt, hurt by churches, hurt by being in and around others, and they've become bitter Bitter because they've invested so much of their time, so much of their energy, so much of their resources only to be taken advantage of. And they thought, I can't trust anymore. And uh, those who've been lied to, those who've been harmed, those who've been bitter because they have given their whole heart and their whole life to service only for someone to take advantage of them. And so they come with trepidation thinking, all right, I'll give you one more chance, but... They're one foot's out the door. I love ministering to those folks because when they hear the word of God and they see the truth on display and they respond in faith to Christ, there's just an overwhelming love. And I've seen those who have come to the church scared, scared because the same situations happened, that they have been lied to, they have been hurt in some way in ministry. 
I was thinking about a, a few months ago, there was a, a young gal who came and visited our church and sat off to one of the sides and went up to talk to her and, uh, you know, say, anything we can do to help you, anything we can do to minister to you, I'd love to be able to, to help you in any way or even direct you to somebody who could be an encouragement to you. And she was so intimidated by the ministry and by, you know, a pastor who preaches for an hour and why, you know, comes in suits and all this that just couldn't stand being around. And it, in one sense, broke my heart in regards to what is happening in the world where truth has been diminished, where we can't trust anymore. But I look around in the congregation and I see, on the other hand, a congregation who has deep love deep appreciation and support of the ministry. Just a few thing, observations from this year. I got a whole page of them here, of things that this year our ministries accomplished. We purchased land, remodeled the children's wing, and started uh, remodeling the pastor's offices and training center. Launched an ecclesia conference. Made it through the hurricane and cared for one another in the process. Started supporting a new missionary couple. We have multiple baptisms this year. We had countless hours of teaching and ministry of the Word of God, teaching classes. Uh, we had a, the exegesis class and teaching training class. We had began training men for ministry. We have had many join the church. We had our, our fall festival and outreach this year. We ministered to over 100 kids midweek, teaching them the Bible and working away from Genesis to Revelation. We had a men's meeting, women's Bible study. Every Monday, a group of gals meet together to pray for the church. We started home groups this year. We've expanded our music this year. And we have... The church even gave me time this summer to take time off to write a book, which I have finished, given to editors, and then uh, actually teaming up with the, a counselor in the ACBC program who has a desire to help me co-publish this book. And as well, we heard testimonies last month of the body of Christ responding to the truth. So I say all of this in just this last year, I mean, this is kind of lifetime stuff for church plans to recognize that these things happened over this last year is beyond what I can ask or imagine. Didn't imagine 12 years ago planning a church and, and our, our Thanksgiving service started the very first month of our ministry life, three weeks into ministry joining, having this service to gather together to reflect out of thankfulness for what the Lord would accomplish. And here we are now in that time saying, look, the Lord is doing beyond what we can ask or imagine. Now, in the midst of this, I thought, as on that night a few weeks ago, when we were talking and thinking about what the Lord was doing, there is, again, so much that we could be thankful for in the life of a healthy church of course, I thought, well, there's one church that does reflect what was on my own heart, and is the church in Thessalonica. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians, I just want to make some observations in regards to the Thessalonian church. And there's so much here, and I 
that ultimately want to set up some, an idea for our conclusion to this message. We can, as I said, in any healthy ministry has two components to it that is operating well. A healthy ministry has a body of believers that are responding in faith and love to the truth. That was the Thessalonians. That's what Paul said to them. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says that. He speaks about the Thessalonian church and how people have gone to the church and then left there and gave testimony. And they said, verse 9, that they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Speaking of the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians responded in a kind of faith that they were serving idols. They turned from those idols. They turned to the living God and they were standing and worshiping the living God. Verse 10, and you wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They had a vibrant and live faith. That's overwhelming, just a a truth. Again, believers who are responding in faith to the word of God. And we could, again, spend time reflecting on that. But it is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, that I want to draw our attention tonight. Because there's thankfulness in response to the congregation. And then there was thankfulness for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Or the ministry of a faithful Shepherd, And I want to give you five characteristics of this man of God, this shepherd minister. And the reason why I want to give you these qualities is, one, so you hold me accountable and make sure I do these things. Two, that you hold all the other pastors equally accountable to that, so none of us get a free pass. But three, so that any guy we train in ministry has these qualities. Anyone that we invest in and we say this is somebody that we're getting behind to support and say this man is going to be a man of God who's going to shepherd the flock of God must have these five qualities. Because with these qualities, God will bless the work. Notice these qualities. The first is a shepherd who is courageous in difficulties. A shepherd who is courageous in difficulties. Verse 1 and 2. Paul says this, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. The first characteristic demonstrated by the Apostle Paul here is that he was willing to speak boldly even when he knew difficulties was coming. Even when he knew that he was going to face a, a difficult time, a difficult response, he spoke boldly. Listen, anybody can speak boldly in their YouTube closet, Right? doesn't take a lot of effort to sit there in your own closet and speak boldly and then go hit post and it's out there and you're standing there strongly with your courage. Anyone could do that. Anyone can speak with some boldness behind the anonymity of a computer screen, give up some uh, you know, fake name there and post it and say they're boldly gone where nobody's gone and posted some stark comment. Anyone could do that. 
Again, anyone can hide behind their Twitter account. Anyone can hide behind their technology and say whatever they want. And they can even say it to more people than I get to say it to. But it is hard to speak the truth to somebody when you have to go face to face. It's hard to speak the truth to somebody when you have to stand on that conviction and walk them through that difficulty. That is much harder to do. And Paul knew that better than anybody here, as he says in this text, that he knew coming to them, it wasn't in vain. He came to them, and he, he came ministering. And verse 2 is significant because he says, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi. You remember the details in Philippi. And he was there ministering the gospel and a young slave girl who was demon-possessed was there hounding Paul. And Paul finally rebuked the demon and cast the demon out. We should have all been praising, good job, Paul, you got rid of the demon. No, actually that demon was a source of income for her slave owner and therefore he turned in Paul and a riot was started. Paul and his friends were arrested. They were beaten, falsely tried, thrown into prison. He suffered unjustly at the hands of those leaders in Philippi. Even though he was a Roman, even though he deserved a fair trial, he wasn't given any of that. All because of the gospel. Because he was preaching the message of Jesus Christ and it faced opposition and he continued to proclaim God's message. Well, finally they release him. Release him. He heads out to the next city. The very next city he comes through, Thessalonica. And he heads to Thessalonica and begins to minister the gospel. And all of a sudden, again, an uproar starts to happen in the city. And if you're one of Paul's friends at that moment, you're probably thinking to yourself, Paul, can you just be quiet a little bit? Can you just tone it down just a little bit so that we wouldn't be in this again? I mean... Clearly, you open your mouth there, we're all thrown into jail. Uh, you, you might make it a little easier on us, but that's not the Apostle Paul. He, again, our natural response would be to duck from the difficulties. Our natural response would be to try to find some kind of peaceful matter to work through the situation. And yet here, the Apostle Paul says, we had the boldness in our God. Even though we had been mistreated, even though we had gone through these difficulties already, we had a boldness in our God to speak. It happens all the time. When there is a firestorm coming, the temptation is to back down. The temptation is to try to avoid the difficulty. The temptation is to do something to soften it. But here, again, there is this kind of minister who is courageous in the difficulties. He understands what he is doing in regards to ministering the truth. Even when a sinner didn't want to hear that truth, even when they wanted to resist it and push up against it, he was responding in a way, recognizing this needs to be said. Again, it's hard to minister truth to somebody who has hardened their heart and Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, he says of Jesus Christ that he is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. So that you come ministering the word of Christ, you're ministering to one a message that would bring offense. 
And it's hard when you sit down and you begin to minister to someone. You know it's going to expose their unbelief. You know it's going to call them out. And they're not going to be thrilled by it. And yet, you still speak the truth courageously in those difficult times. That is a shepherd. Notice here in verse 2, Paul is not motivated by anger. I'm going to take out my frustration on Philippi, on these Thessalonians. He wasn't motivated by a pride. He wasn't headline hunting. Now, notice the key to his motivation. It's the end of verse 2 there. We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. His confidence and his faith was in God. What God was going to accomplish through the power of his word what God was going to accomplish through his message, that that light of God's word was going to bring hope, bring transformation, bring life to men. There was a kind of confidence that knows it is the message of God and the word of God alone that has the power to bring transformation. And Paul knows that, and so he had a courage in the midst of his difficult circumstances. He was courageous in ministering God's message to everyone he interacted with. This leads to the second characteristic. The shepherd is careful in his dialogue. He is careful in his dialogue. Notice verse 3. For our exhortation does not come with error or impurity or by way of deceit. Look, he came here and was careful in his Dialogue that he wasn't preaching error to them or impurity or wasn't trying to take advantage of them. Look, there's a difference between a guy who is looking for a fight and a guy who is the target of hostility. There's a difference between those two. There's a difference between a guy who's looking to fight or a, a guy who a fight is looking for him. There's a guy, again, looking for a fight. There's one who is going around looking at the hot topics in the papers or whatever and launching in on them. He's looking for the big ticket items. Guys like Alex Jones, who spouted off his views on the events of Sandy Hook, sought to push out his opinions so that as to gain a kind of popularity. That's a guy looking for a fight. But it's different than the kind of person who is ministering truth and the fight comes to him because he took a stand on the truth. He took a stand on God's message. Anyone, again, can go out, look through the headlines, pick a topic, speak to that topic and gain some kind of following. Anyone can spot a a political hero or a political force out there or even a particular teacher and try to gain popularity by attacking that teacher. But it is different than being faithful to carry God's message, and in carrying God's message, then comes the difficulty. This Paul says here that he, again, was exhorting not from error or impurity or by way of deceit. He was careful in his dialogue careful in his evaluation. He wasn't using, again, uh, religion as a means for his own personal gain. 
He wasn't coming along promising one thing, but secretly desiring something different. He wasn't coming along teaching one thing, but privately believing and doing something different. I mean, have you noticed, and I have now been in ministry for a while, and I've watched fads come and go through the seasons, and it's rather interesting to me, the number of times somebody comes, like a Mark Driscoll or others, who come in, gain a popularity, it crashes, and then they say, I, I never believed that anyways. I never believed that doctrine. I wasn't that. Well, you used it to get to that particular status, and now you're rejecting it? It just happened in a different form just this last few weeks. Uh, it's funny, I'm using a business illustration here, but you'll get the point. There was a man uh, by the name of San, Sam Bankman Freed, you know, the cryptocurrency guy. He was in the uh, news right now. He got to his position because of his altruism. He came along telling everybody he's just going to give away his money and he's going, to, he's going to give his money away to save the planet and other things. And everyone gave him a free pass because he had these high moral values. No way he can harm us because he, you know, he dresses in a frumpy way and he wants to give away money. I mean, what can go wrong? And then it gets caught and then it falls apart and he says, oh, we didn't believe that anyways. Not Paul. Paul says here in verse 3, I didn't come out of impurity or an error or by way of deceit. I didn't come taking advantage. I came ministering truth. I came speaking carefully. came speaking with carefully so as not to harm, not to mislead, not to cause difficulty. I came to minister the truth carefully. And you can evaluate all of my words. You know, it's funny in what I... I do love about this day and age. Everything said is recorded. I mean, you can go back. You can see, and sadly to my shame, and you know, just the immaturity. But you can get the message from the very first sermon I preached here until now. And you can see the growth, the lot of growth that I had to go through to get to this stage. But you can hear it all. You can hear every message, every sermon, everything I've taught, everything I've ever said is there recorded for me, for all of you as well, and it's there to be evaluated at all times. Nothing's hidden. I don't get the joy of having a group of editors and go out there and scrub it and uh, make sure I get it right. There is, it's all there recorded. Why? For a kind of purpose like this, to see consistency. To see the integrity of the message. To see the consistency of the message. Does it reflect the word of God? It is this case right here. A shepherd who is one who is careful in his dialogue. He's not coming with impurity or greed or lying. Paul says here again, by this, when he comes again, not in error, impurity, or deceit. Meaning, Satan, we didn't come to take advantage of you. We didn't come peddling something to you. We didn't come to take advantage of the church, even though we could have had the opportunity. We came simply to minister the truth. That's God's word. We came walking in the truth. That's with integrity. We came speaking the truth, demonstrating our trustworthiness. This leads to the third characteristic of the shepherd. The shepherd is cautious in his duties. Cautious in his duties. Verse 4. Notice, 
But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. There is a cautiousness to his ministry, recognizing God is the one who evaluates. In the end, as much as I appreciate you know, your likes to my sermons or your appreciation to your coming up, I recognize that's not my final evaluation. The final evaluation is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God himself. That's what Paul is stating there. He is approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so he speaks not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. God evaluates. God approves his servants, his shepherds. God sends them out. God equips them. God prepares them. God tests them. God evaluates them. And then God judges them the whole time. God is the one that each shepherd has to give an account to. And each one is put to the test as he has to stand before God. And we're tested all the time. I think about it, the privilege of, of this Tested in so many ways. Tested, I remember the early years of ministry life in the church when, you know, you go in and, I mean, my preparation process is the same now as it was then. Same study of translating the text, same outlining it, same everything, and yet now there's a lot more people than there was on the first day. The Lord has, it's the same process, and yet the heart's tested when you're doing all that work for a handful of people. There's a test. The Lord tests us. And the Lord knows in the ministry of the shepherd what he does in his busy season, what he does in his time of relaxing, what he does when the pressures are on, what areas he'd want to skip. All of that, the Lord knows all that. And here's the reminder that Paul says. He recognizes in his ministry that he labors knowing that it is God who is examining the heart. God is the one who is determining the message, its value, he's determining its usefulness, he's the one determining everything. So that as we recognize when we are going through ministry, the faithful shepherd is one who recognizes he will give an account for every word to God, so he is careful. I love a careful thinker. I love a careful communicator, one who is deliberate. The one who is saying, all right, let me spend some time thinking through that and come back and give you an answer. I love that kind of response because it's one who recognizes these words are important. I don't want to give the impression that this is God's message if it hasn't come clearly from him. It has to be from God. This leads to the fourth characteristic. The shepherd is conscientious of his discourse. is conscientious of his discourse. Notice verse 5 and 6. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Look, he was... Careful and conscientious. To be conscientious is to be careful, to be deliberate. It is to speak with a clear conscience. It means to give a clear sense to something. One who is conscientious is careful and deliberate. 
And here, what Paul says is, look, we didn't come with flattering speech. And we didn't come with some hidden pretext, like we wanted to take advantage of you. We didn't come with some kind of hidden motive that we wanted to take. We came, again, realizing that we're ministering for the glory of God. It's rather interesting that verse 6, Paul says, even though I had every right as an apostle, every right of one who had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, been taught by Jesus Christ, one who had the authority of an apostle, the one who was a foundation to the church, I had every right and authority to take this, and we didn't. We didn't do it. We didn't desire personal advantage. We didn't desire personal gain. And it is funny, this is the hardest part of ministry. Thinking about how does the ministry grow? How does the ministry continue to expand? And yet, it's not self-serving. How do we say, congregation, we need to move into taking on a building campaign or, or sending out more missionaries or any other project that would be bigger and it not be self-serving to the pastor or elders or leaders? Well, Paul gives the answer in this text here. He gives the answer here because he says, God is the one evaluating our hearts, even though we had this. Instead, verse 7 and 8 is the answer. We prove to be gentle among you. As nursing mothers tenderly care for her own children. We didn't come seeking our own will. We came seeking God's will came seeking to do his work. We were careful with our words, careful with our instruction, careful with our teaching. We came not teaching our own message, but God's message. I think there's the difference. How do, how do you know the ministry is growing at the right pace? The answer is, are you teaching God's message? He'll grow it at the pace he wants to grow it. He will accomplish what he wants to accomplish according to his good purposes and his timing. And it all, always comes, again, according to his purposes and timing. It's the person who wants something so bad, he's willing to change the message, to take away the offense, to change the, the heart of the truth he's teaching so that he doesn't cause people to leave. That's the one who is seeking ministry for selfish gain. Because it's more important that he accomplish his big goals leads to the last characteristic trait of the shepherd I want to draw your attention to is this. The shepherd cares for his disciples. He cares for his disciples. Verse 7 and 8. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. Now this is my joy of ministry, to know the body of Christ get to share mutual love and support. The care, the abounding love, the sweet friendships in Christ. I love the fact that I can look out in the ministry and see people at different age ranges and know my friends I know from different cultures and backgrounds and to be my friends, that we could sit down around the truth and know there is a common love for Christ together. 
that if you had burdens, that we would be there to care for your burdens. And if I had burdens, you would be there to care for my burdens because of the work of Christ. So that we could impart, as Paul says, our very lives to you. Not the kind of ministry where you create a kind of glass wall that says, well, everyone else is down here and the shepherds and elders are over here. No, it's the kind of ministry where everyone is together, walking alongside of one another, sharing with one another God's kindness and grace. I mean, isn't that ultimately what makes Thanksgiving season so rich? that we're not just saying, hey, I'm thankful for you way over there. We're saying, hey, come over to our house, sit down in our living room, let's share over a meal, let's rejoice together in the ministry of God to us, to give thanks for what God is doing. So these five qualities of a shepherd that is encouraging because he ministers to the body that responds, as chapter 1 says, people growing in faith and responding to the truth. I love to see that. The shepherd who ministers carefully God's message, the one who is careful in his dialogue, the one who is cautious in his duties, conscientious in his discourse, and he cares for his disciples. I say all of that because what I was supposed to say on the the service a few nights ago in the pastor appreciation service, what I was supposed to say is that our ministry has taken the time to invest in young men to train them for ministry. And we are training them to be this right here, to be the kinds of shepherds that care for the body of Christ, even to their own harm, that they have a holy fear of God that they would recognize God will watch every one of my words and I will give an account for all of them. They have such a trust in God and God's service that they are confident that God is going to bless his word and they've entrusted themselves to that work. And what you may not know is that in October, just before our our shepherd, our ecclesia conference, a group from the Expositor Seminary came over and evaluated our ministry, and were thrilled by what they were seeing here, and, and start, went back, and we were looking at formalizing a relationship with them, so that we together will be able to train men for the ministry. And if everything goes well, what will happen is we will become the 12th campus in the Expositors Network, Campuses that include campuses around Arizona, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Kansas, Virginia, North Carolina, and in Florida. All of these churches together cooperating to train men to send them out into the ministry, which will only, again, increase our accountability, but will also give these men the opportunity for more formal training if they wish, but also for being part of a network of churches that they can be affirmed and go and be in, in churches, church plants, and other projects where they can be immediately useful in the Lord's service. And so I bring that up for you for a couple reasons. One, pray for us. Pray for the ministry so that we can do this very thing. And pray for them that they would be the kind of men that would reflect what Paul demonstrates here to the Thessalonians. 
but also rejoice with us because of the marvelous privilege that we have to partner together in the Lord's work and preparing uh, people to minister the word of God and to see the effects of that. Because ultimately we can look back over these last 12 years, we have been experiencing the effect of the ministry of the word of God in our midst, which has produced stability, encouragement of faith, and hope. And we just want to continue to pass that on in the weeks, months, and years ahead, and we're thrilled to be a part. My hope is that by our business meeting in February, I'd be able to give you an official and full announcement of where everything is at. So please keep that in your prayers. Well, that sets us up. That thankfulness and gratitude sets us up for the Lord's table tonight. We're going to take of the Lord's table. And this is, again, a time of gratitude for what the Lord has done for us personally as a ministry and then as believers to reflect on God's marvelous grace 